Good evening, and welcome to the Television Graveyard. We are your TV necromancers, Laura Prince and Noble Annie. We have come here tonight to examine the spirits of past television shows, to find out which ones could be resurrected, should be resurrected, and which ones should just stay doomed. This will be a podcast in which we analyze the history, the hype, and the aftermath of shows that ran only one season, or even only one episode. This month we are at the conclusion of our Comedy Central month, and with me as always is Noah Houlihan. Oh, hold on a second. Uh, there's a pie cost in the audio. What? There's a pie cost in the audio. What's pie? No! <laughs> Three dollars for cherry, five for pumpkin! I really... That's not the line I thought you were going to go with. <laughs> I really thought you were going to go with, One of these days, Laura, I'm going to punch you in the face. You told me specifically to never say that. I didn't mean in context of this. I just meant I didn't want it to become a daily occurrence. <laughs> One of these days, Laura, I'm going to punch you in... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Bring it, Houlihan. <laughs> This week we are doing That's My Bush, the 2001 comedy that places the Bush the Second presidency in a sitcom context. Yes, That's My Bush started like right after President George W. Bush was elected. It started April 4th. April 4th, so he had been the president for... F- not even three months. Not even three months, Wow. Which means this was in production, essentially, before his inauguration, probably. Well, I remember seeing commercials for this before the election. I remember seeing commercials like, we will soon have a new president and he will have his own TV show. Yeah, when they were developing the project, it was pitched as Family First, which is a riff on First Family. Okay. And the plans were, if Al Gore had won the 2000 election, it would have been Everybody Loves Al. Really? And then George Day went with That's My Bush. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, the plan was always a sitcom pastiche of 70s and 80s family sitcoms with the president at the lead. Yeah, and this is another one that I watched a lot of live. Uh, I did enjoy this show. However, when I was watching it back in, what is this, 2000? 2001. 2001. uh, I didn't know it was Matt Stone and Trey Parker. No, yeah, it is. Which should have been obvious based off of the theme song. He's the president in residence. He's kind of in charge. He's got the whole country saying, that's my bush. Life is hard. That's the price of fame. When you're president, everyone knows your name. Hey, what's that thing? It's my bush. I can't believe he's actually in the White House. That's our man. That's my bush. Yes, and there's a lot of little, a lot of little Trey Parker and Matt Stone esque pieces. If you listen to the voices of any yes. character that is that does not appear but is voiced, it is absolutely Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Yes, there's nothing more uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker than that's our man. Yeah, it's very. Uh, I believe the pro life activist was voiced by one of them. And the, uh, 
think the cat. And any and all voiceovers you hear. Yes. So, it's a sitcom starring the president, and it's very, very much a sitcom. It's a sitcom first starring the president. Yes. So, we're in as many, like, sitcom tropes as possible. Yes. With the president. It's all your classic sitcom plots. It's the mother-in-law plot. It's the bottle episode plot. Which is interesting because uh, they said that that is how they wrote South Park originally. Was like, let's take a very common uh, story trope Mm -hmm. and put a South Park spin on it. Yes. Because that's how they wrote the dog episode with Sparky. It's like, oh, my dog ran away and that sucked. How can we make that South Park? Well, let's make the dog gay. So... That's basically the formula is, let's just take a sitcom and make it about the president. Yeah, they seem to just go with, let's take a hot-button political issue and then make it a sitcom plot. And make it a sitcom plot. And that's exactly what we witness. And it it works. It does. It does work. Uh, I feel like it worked better then than it does now. Absolutely. But uh, let's get into it. Let's jump into this. Okay. So, it uh, it starts with a bang. Like, the maid... Uh, they, they're actually... Sorry. It starts with a bang. We meet their dog. <laughs> and what's impressive is they actually did use accurately the dog. Yeah, it looks just like George Bush's dog. Yeah, not one of the Scotty dogs, but the dog that was descended from Millie, whose name I don't remember. Yes. So, the whole thing is about uh, first lady syndrome. Uh, Laura and feel, Laura Bush feels that George is not spending enough time with her. Right. So it's essentially the protagonist double books himself and has to run back and forth between two things. Plots. Yes. Yeah. So he has a date with Laura Bush, and he has a meeting dinner. With the head of pro-life and the head of pro-choice. Yes, and the show is pretty careful not to really take a stand. Yes, both sides get made fun of a lot. The pro-choice activist is uh, every bad feminist stereotype. Yeah. And the show makes fun of that. Because a blind character correctly states what the pro-choice activist looks like. Right. And she like kind of gets mad but really can't be. Right, right. The pro choice, the pro life activist. This is South Park. Is a fetus who survived being aborted. Yes, but didn't develop properly after that. So, I forget. I'm pretty sure they give how old the fetus is. Thirty. 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 But still looks like a fetus. Yeah, like it's still a baby. They buy him a suit from uh, Build a Bear. Yes, <laughs> the teddy bear store. And we introduce other characters. We introduce um, Maggie, who is their maid. Right. And she's the sassy domestic help. Exactly. She's also Mrs. Carruthers from Full House. The PTA mom who, like, sexually harasses Joey. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was literally my third note after the dog. Because I was trying to figure out how I knew her. She's Mrs. Carruthers. Okay. I knew her best as, oh, she's going to... Get Joey drunk and take advantage of him first chance she gets. Like, she's a rapist. Yeah. 
but Maggie is the, uh, but Maggie has worked there since the Secret Service wore bell bottoms. Yes. So she's a White House employee. Uh, Princess is their ditzy. She's Kelly Bundy. She's like when she walks on screen, everyone whistles. And, you know, she's always dressed very provocatively. And she's eye candy for the show. And I have to ask this because, you know, you have Bush and Laura as, you know, the main characters. And then Carl Rove is there. Yes. Is Princess somebody? Like, Princess is uh, Jenna and Barbara. Princess is the two daughters. Oh. But there was, there's kind of an ethics concern. They were both. Uh, they were both legally adults, but only just. Like, they were 20 years old. They do take a shot at them at at one point in the in one of the episodes. Yeah, but very, like, the daughter who's asking for money. Yeah. Which is not that, like, that's a pretty easy throw. Right. Considering, like, what everybody else is depicted as. Mm-hmm. I think there was an ethical concern about using his real kids, who were, I believe, college students at the time. Right. Like, that's ethically a little bit gray. Okay, I could see that. Um, I could see that. The comedy center, Trey Parker and Matt Stone were gonna. Really? Yeah, they were going to make them incestuous lesbian lovers. Oh. And Comedy Central clearly balked at that, because, like, they're 20, and whereas, you know, they wouldn't have any reservations about taking shots at, like, Justin Bieber when he was 20... There's usually this very interesting mystique surrounding presidential kids. Yeah. Even they didn't young adults. Ask for this. Yeah, like really until the kids hit like twenty five and start kinda acting for themselves, they're not really fair game. Right. That's why like Okay. The media tries not to do anything to Baron Trump. The others right. are fair game. Right, right. Tiffany doesn't do anything and Baron's very young. Okay. So that's that's why the media, when they mention the Trump kids, will go after Donald Jr., Eric, and Ivanka, who are all in their 30s. All right, that makes sense. Or older. But I was I was curious if Princess was supposed to be a real person, but she is not. She's an amalgamation of his daughters. Okay. Yes. Okay. But they kind of used their, like, public personas to create kind of like this uber bimbo. Right, right. Okay. But they, make, they take care to make her someone who works there. She's clearly of age. Yes. And she's very much the, like... I was... You were saying Kelly Bundy. I was thinking Chrissy Snow. Chrissy Snow. Three's Company. Oh, okay, yes. I was thinking about Chrissy Snow because uh, Princess is very innocent. Right. We don't really, like... Kelly Bundy was a lot more aware of her sexuality. That's true. Uh, Chrissy Snow, like Princess, is very innocent. Like, she kind of plays it as, like, she's not aware. Of how attractive she is, yeah. And I think that's kind of the trope they're playing off. Okay, alright, yeah, I can get I can get behind that. So, during this first episode, there's one moment that I feel like is a mistake. Okay. Because this is all meant to be very sitcom-y. Yeah. Like, the canned laughter, the applause when certain characters walk on screen, and things like that. There's a scene in the Oval Office where they're discussing, you know, Bush trying to get out of this meeting with the dinner so he can be with his wife. And 
he's sit he's seated behind his desk, and the camera cuts to behind him because he's talking to Carl Rove. Mm-hmm. If this was a sitcom, you would see the audience from this angle. Yeah, and they only they they correct this mistake because they never do it again. As, as I bang on, on some stuff. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, but they never make this mistake again. Because it never happens again. But, like, it broke the illusion of this is a sitcom. Because it started to look more like a one-camera sitcom. More of a Malcolm in the Middle. Yes. Um, ty- or um, Modern Family type feel. George Bush's character was actually uh, compared in a couple of reviews to Brian Cranston's character in Malcolm in the Middle. Really? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. The kind of, like, bumbling sitcom dad. Yeah. And I think in 2001, Malcolm in the Middle was fairly recent. And so that was, like, the most recent example. Yeah, that makes sense. So they do a couple really good sight gags here. There's a nice gag where, uh, between the two engagements, Bush changes his tie and jacket. But they're the same tie and jacket. They're the same tie and jacket. And this is such a great trope to do first. Because this is also a trope that other sitcoms have mentioned. Yeah. Because there's the episode of Boy Meets World where he runs between Topanga and WrestleMania. Of course you know this one. Yeah, of course I do. And in that episode, the way the plan is explained to Corey is they watch the Flintstones where he has to run in between his date with Wilma and the Water Buffalo uh, uh, meeting. And the whole thing is, usually the way it gets blown is they accidentally walk in wearing the wrong thing. Right. The Vader mask or the water buffalo hat or something like that. Uh, so the fact that they do this bit where they're, he's changing into the other clothes is just great trope humor. The other major character is uh, Carl Rove. Righto. Who is the president's right-hand man. And... Uh, He's very deadpan and very funny. He's just like, yes. he's very well done. Yes, you might know him from uh, Wayne's World. Oh, yeah, really? Yes, yeah, he's he's the guy that if he was an ice cream flavor, he'd be... Pralines and Dick? Praline and Dick. That's who he says it to. Oh my god! And they, he turns him on to uh, Wayne and Garth's side. Huh, I never realized that. Yeah, he's... A, He's a Comedy Central boy. He was also in um, Porn and Chicken, the Comedy Central movie. Wow, going down through his IMDb, he's a busy dude. Oh yeah, like he's he's one of those that guy actors. Yes. He also uh, in 1991 played a character named Garth the same year Wayne or the year before Wayne's World. Huh. That's fun. <laughs> he's also Hardmeyer in Ghostbusters Two. Fun oh. fact. <laughs> So, the first episode sets everything up. Yes. It does a really good job. It also sets up the the last character worth mentioning in this at this point is Larry the Wacky Neighbor. Hey, George, it's your favorite neighbor. Which, I love this gimmick, because, like, he just walks in. He's Kimmy Gibbler, in that he just, like, yeah. walks in. Urkel. And, but it's the White House. Yeah. So, the idea that he has the house next door. Is hilarious. And that he can come in (laughs) unbidden. Yeah. Constantly. And he always does a terrible joke. 
there's some snoo on your lawn. What's snoo, Larry? Nothing. What's snoo with you? <laughs> and the thing that's wonderful about that is it never really gets old. Because he does it a few times and then, like, it gets turned up and turned around enough. Yeah, it's an eight episode. That it stays funny. The whole series ran eight episodes, so there also wasn't a lot of time. And I don't believe Larry's in everyone in a major capacity. Yeah, sometimes he's just peripheral. But it's very common that he comes in and George says, Not now, Larry, I got problems. He kind of then takes on like a Wilson role. Yes. Of giving advice. And uh, there's a couple really good sight gags. There's a sight gag where the pro-life activist is riding Spot the dog around. Yes. And Laura Bush screams that there's a baby riding my dog. Yes. And then the end, they always end on a scene of George and Laura in bed together, like discussing the day's Aesop. Yes. And uh, there's some good sight gags in these. Yeah, I missed these. uh, She's reading a book in the first one called How to Kill Yourself Slowly. (laughs) Really? Well, she's just like, at the end of the series, she's trying to seduce George. And she's wearing a parka and nothing else and drops the parka in front of the entire abortion rights summit. Oh, right. And Karl Rove and Larry and Princess and George. (laughs) Big yikes was yes. the note I have there. Big yikes. Uh, and then it ends with the, the big catchphrase where the crowd, the audience always says it along uh, with George like he's the friggin' rock. One of these days, Laura, I'm gonna punch you in the face. <laughs> so this is obviously a Honeymooners yes. reference. Like, one of these days, Alice, pow, kiss her to the moon. Mm-hmm. And The Honeymooners is also fairly short-running for how influential it is. Really? Yeah. I I would never have guessed that. Yeah, The Honeymooners, for something that, like, for something that we consider very influential, only ran 39 episodes. Hmm. I believe the reason it's so influential is it's one of the few that they kept the tapes of. Yes. It was one of the first thing that ran in reruns because it was common practice to uh, tape over episodes for newer episodes. Yes, as any Doctor Who fan can tell you. Yes. Uh, same goes for um, Flying Circus. Monty Python had to pay for the tapes. Yeah, they That's ju- why we still have that. That's why they're safe because the BBC was actually... Very infamous for this. Yeah. Uh, that's why certain things are hard to come by. And if that's not foreshadowing for uh, next month, <laughs> nothing is. We're taking our first Stay Doomed field trip next yeah, month. Yeah, we're taking a field trip for this show. It should be very interesting. Get excited. Episode two. Episode two. This is the uh, college or high school friend come and somebody makes an idiot of themselves. It's George's frat buddies from Yale. Yes. And he wants to show that he's still a cool guy and that he hasn't changed because he's become the president. And the hot button issue they attempt to tackle is the death penalty. Yes. The idea is that... Uh, <laughs> and the Carl Rose always kind of uh, phrases it this way. We're conservatives. We believe X. Yes. Kind of implying that George may not believe this, 
but because he's a Republican, he has to display that he does. And one of the big issues is that they feel that George Bush should watch an execution. Yes, because if he saw one live, he wouldn't be pro-execution. And this goes very poorly. This might be my favorite episode. This episode is very dark. It's very dark, but it is so funny. Because the idea is uh, he wants to impress his frat buddies. So he convinces his frat guys to go out on one more crazy night. And they're going to go to the execution live. But... They're going to do a fake execution for the frat guys. Where George can showboat. Yes. And then the real one will happen later at midnight. So they need to hire someone to be the fake prisoner. And the fake guards and the fake reporters. So they need a group of people who can improvise. Perhaps (laughs) an improv group. Oh my god. God, I love this whole scene. Uh, and I'm, I mean, I start got my start in improv comedy, mm-hmm. and like they're cringy in a very familiar way. <laughs> like they are cringy in that way. Comedy, improv yes. comedy, really can be. Yeah, where it's less about it being organic and just like going for a joke no matter what. And, and Princess adores them. Yeah, Princess loves them, and that whole thing where. They laugh instead of staying in the scene, which also drives me crazy. Yes. And Carl Rove goes off on them. Stop it! We don't want improv comedy! You don't? (laughs) No, we don't. In fact, improv comedy makes me sick. Because you act like it's totally improvisational when in fact... It's formulas that you rehearse over and over and over again. And every night, you pretend like you're making it up off the top of your head, and then you laugh on stage to make it look real. I hate you. Do you hear me? I said, do you hear me, you sons of bitches? And the thing is... He's not entirely wrong. He is not wrong, especially at, like, a higher level, like, Upright Citizens Brigade. Uh, when you take their improv class, that is what they're teaching you. Oh my god, I saw Jack McBrayer do Ass Cat, and I was just, like, blown away by just how good they are at UCB in the upper levels. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've gone to UCB and it's incredible. I went, oh, I'm sorry, I went to Second City and it was incredible. Mm, look at you. But it's very much a, we start a scene with two people then a scene with two other people, then we bring it together, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. Those are the beats. And that's one of the things you can tell when not great improv is happening. They don't follow that formula, and everything kind of goes to hell in a handbasket. Yes. And so I want to say, improv is very hard. It's very hard. And you have to be very talented to do it. But there is a formula on how it's done. Yeah. Uh, Almost like... A very difficult magic trick. Like, there are many magic tricks I could tell you how they're done, and you would still not be able to do them. Because there's a a variant of sleight of hand. Yes, a finesse to it. So, they, uh... What happens is they accidentally execute the prisoner during what's supposed to be the fake execution. They they tell one prison guard the, the actual plan. And he then eats a peanut, and his neck blows up. 
because he has an allergic reaction. But they cut away almost too quickly. Yes. Because it's just like, okay, I understand. Everything's fine. Cool. Click. And then it's over. Yeah. It's just like, wait, what just happened? Yeah, I like, I sent, I actually missed it initially. Yeah, I had to rewind it for you so you can see it happen. Because the effect also looks really good. It does. So what ends up happening is now the only person that knew the plan at the jail is he can't speak because his throat has closed. So they just think the president has decided to do the execution at 10. Yeah. So George believes it's fake, but it's real. Yes. And George showboats and acts like a frat boy and... His frat brothers end up actually horrified. Yes. Like, the effect that the pro, the anti-death penalty folks wanted to have on George, they have on the frat brothers. Yes. And, like, George is going crazy. He uses Drano at one point. like, it's insanity. And Carl Rove has to come in and explain that George had just actually killed someone. And he faints. Yes. Uh, and this causes uh, Karl Rove to think quickly on his feet. And he just yells, and scene. You might think that's how an execution really goes, but it's not. Let me show you what a real execution is. And the improv team comes in. Yes, and this is dark. Well, and they immediately just start doing bits. Because it's immediately like, dead man moonwalking! Yeah. They're bad actors. And this is important. They cut away from that scene. And we get, like, the Laura in bed thing. Well, George gets very upset and goes full Schindler's List. Yes. Like, literally... He says, like, every moment he was doing something stupid, he could have been making, like, pardon phone calls. So he picks up, like, everything and was like, when I did, like, when I bought this, I could have been making a phone call. And he just kind of does this very, like, end of Schindler's List-esque freak out. Mm-hmm. And so it's, he's a changed man. He learned a lesson. Yes. And all that good stuff. And then it's the Act 4 stinger here. Yeah, like, post credit. Yeah, it's what usually would happen when they cut the screen in half and credits are going. Mm -hmm. It's that scene. I am not sure this aired when I saw it originally. Because I I don't remember this scene. It is a scene where they actually execute the guy from the improv team. While the other improvers are still just doing bits, and Carl Rove gets into his face and just. Freeze. <sighs> and breathes in his last breath. And breathes in his last breath. <laughs> and I was just like, what the hell is this? Well, it ties into one of the only, like, Family Guy-esque cutaways <laughs> right. in the entire show. There's a... It, it doesn't fit in with anything else we see in the entire series. But Bush asks Rove, like, weren't you ever in a fraternity? And it smash cuts to, like, a dark wizard cult. Yeah. And then immediately smashes back. 
And he's just like, eh, kind of. And yeah. Let's not address it. Ever. Uh, so, the next episode is actually one of the things that contributed to the cancellation. Okay. The is bear episode. The bear ep- Oh, this episode's good. Yes. It's not the quality of the episode that was the problem. So, this episode, uh, it's, it's not very bear-focused, but uh, it's... Yeah, but the bear was the problem. Oh, okay. Uh, it's the idea of everybody think... Somebody thinking something's out to get him. Yes, he gets addicted to Miss Cleo. Because yes. guys, remember Miss Cleo? Yeah, she's Miss Tia. Oh. Come now! And I loved the bit where they show... Six of them in a row. Yes. Six. Di- they they pan across Miss Tia's like her little office, and there's like six different Miss Tias. One of whom is just a white dude. Yes, doing a, a voice that was better than mine, uh, but only a little. But only a little. And uh, every time George calls, he gets death cards. Occasionally, he gets a gay card. Yes, because that was still funny to say gay. Because that was two thousand one. Two thousand one. Uh, so he believes someone is going to kill him. Uh, and this is the... Uh, gun control. Gun control episode. And he's just like, I believe that if no one has guns... No one can kill no me. No one can kill me. And this is again when Carl, Carl Rove says, We're conservatives. We're not anti-gun. And then, like, Laura, they're both addicted to the 900 number. Right. That's how it starts, is getting yelled at over the phone bill, which is a very 80s, 90s sitcom. Yes. And Laura, every time she's supposed to, she wants to call the psychic, she takes a drink instead. Yeah. Which is something Princess recommends. Like, oh, whenever I wanted to smoke, I did something else. Yes. Her, she sang a tune. Princess. She sang show tunes. Yeah. And then uh, Bush wants to call the psychic and then does a mini medley. He does a medley of... of- Clang, clang, clang with the trolley. <laughs> ding, ding, ding with the bell. It's a hard knock life for us. It's a hard knock life for us. God, I hope I get it. I get it. How many people does he need? Ah! Oh, good pull. Good pull, guys. Showing that even this early, Matt Stone and Trey Parker were theater nerds. I mean... This is the year South Park Bigger Longer like South Park Bigger Longer and Uncut was already out by this point. Yeah, uh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It had been out two years when this ran. Yeah, so we already saw their Lay Miz love. Oh my god. I love their Lay Miz pastiche in that film. It's super good. It really is. So he has banned all the guns, but he has realized that it's someone he knows. He knows that it's going to kill him, according to the psychic. Uh, so he's. we're going to do a very, like... Clue. Clue-esque thing where he's going to accuse everyone. Uh, Charlton Heston is very angry with him for trying to ban guns, and George Bush has bought himself a pet bear for protection. Uh, yes. But before we actually go further, let's talk about Charlton Heston. Yes. Because, one, it's not really Charlton Heston. Obviously. Uh... And he keeps just saying uh, lines from his movies. Specifically Planet of the Apes. Yeah, get your hands off me, you damn dirty ape, and things like that. But he would say something and the crowd would boo him 
And then he would yell at the audience. Yes. Which is very weird. (laughs) But like, I don't know. I enjoyed it. It's just like a very weird touch of like, it breaks the reality of the show. Yeah. But increases the reality of the sitcom. Yeah, and he went on to play Charlton, the actor, Bob Lee Janaire, went on to play Charlton Heston in a TV movie called Windy City Heat. So for a while, that's just how he was making money. He was a professional Charlton Heston. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him. So he gets this uh, attack bear, or guard bear, to protect him. And he's... <laughs> he, he accuses everyone in turn, and the only month, the only, like breakout scene I want to discuss is Princesses, because Princess is the only character I've ever seen that was dumb on the level of Kevin, Chris, uh, Chris Hemsworth's character in Ghostbusters. Oh, yes, yes. Because she keeps ringing a bell and then answering the phone. Yes. He, he was like, Princess, you were supposed to lock the doors, and she was like, but he kept calling. Yes. She's unbelievably stupid. And the the way he's going to finally solve who's going to kill him is he throws a loaded rifle on the table... And shuts the lights off. The idea being, he had covered it in molasses, so whoever picked up the gun, it would be stuck to their hands. Yes. Turns the lights off and everyone's gone. He's like, all right, let's try it again. Turns it off, turns it on again, and the bear is just licking it. Yes. And then we get bear with a rifle, which is amazing. Yes. I feel like you have something to tell me. So, this episode was expensive. They had to use, like, they had an animatronic for the bear. They had a puppet for the bear. They had a guy in a bear suit. Okay. And then they had a bear. I feel like you you only need three of those. So the Four is too many. The budget for this show was astronomical. For this episode. And this kind of sets up part of the uh part of the problem okay uh because the reason this show was canceled was that it was simply too expensive i really thought it would be 9-11 we can talk a little more about that later okay uh and why people think that but really it was just because the ratings were good but not great and the show cost between seven hundred thousand and a million dollars an episode to produce. Oh my god! On Comedy Central, they were. I mean, they had the. Uh, they had a few sets. Hmm. And I feel like we saw a number of places in the White House. There was the living room, the and the bedroom, but certain episodes we see a lot of house. Yeah. Well, you know, their other show, South Park, I think cost eighty dollars. So. <laughs> You would think that this evens out, but I guess not. So, I forget how this one ends. Um, I think everyone gets their guns back. Uh, Charlton Heston guns down the bear. That's right, and we learned that guns are good because they can kill bears. Yes. Uh, this predates the Colbert show from yeah. by some time. Uh, the one thing I forgot to mention that was amazing was... Uh, Charlton Heston asks, how are you going to be protected without guns? And they say, well, the cops in England don't have guns. And then White House security comes in and they're bobbies. Yes. <laughs> and they just kind of like waddle in and waddle out. 
Yes. And, like, we never see them again. That's the one time we see those costumes. But, man, was it worth it for that gag. Yes. So they had certain, uh, certain rooms that were, like, built. Like, the bedroom and, like, the dining room and the living room. And then they'd, they were really only allowed, for budgetary reasons, to build one new set a week. Gotcha. Which kind of adds to the authenticity of a sitcom. Because you always see, like, the full house house. Yes. You see it from the same angles every time you watch it. Absolutely. Yeah, there's only so <clears throat> many rooms that they have. Right. And they were, like... They were good sets. Yeah, it, it looked like the White House. They went on a tour. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> and they actually did uh, reuse the sets for other productions. Oh, good. Yeah, I don't. I couldn't find what productions. Hmm. I'll have to keep an eye out. So, that brings us to episode four. Yeah, I don't have a ton of notes. This is the uh, when he illegally hooks up Cable. Yes, this is a weird one. Uh, basically, this is the uh, missile episode or the war episode. Yeah. Uh, and what I found interesting was uh, George just wants Cable so he can watch Cable. Right. But Carl Rove and whoever the uh, uh, director of defense is, is trying to teach him about Star Wars. Yes. The, the Reagan... Uh, the Reagan era missile program. And it's something that's supposed to be able to, you know, blow up missiles that are coming our way. And in this episode, they decide they're going to steal Cable. They being George and the Wacky Neighbor. Yeah, George and Larry. And they set it up, and in doing so, they cross some wires, and they accidentally bomb Austria. Yes. Which was really hard for me to understand, because... I thought it was Germany, because they're not speaking English. No. And I, I don't speak Austrian, so I had no idea what was actually happening. Did you say you don't street, you don't speak Austrian? Yeah. Uh, the official language of Austria is German. Which you also don't speak? Yeah, I speak it about as well as I speak Austrian. You Googled that in front of me. That's not something you just knew. No, I thought I knew and I wanted to, you know, sometimes I confirm things so that I don't have to issue redactions later when I'm wrong. Sometimes I like to confirm things. If I'm Googling it, it's because I thought you were wrong. And we're cutting this, right? Cutting some of it. Are you going to cut the part where I sound like a jerk? No, that's the part I'm keeping. All right, so they're, sp they're speaking German and I... Don't speak German, clearly. So there's like parts of this where I just don't understand what's happening. Uh, but they send a counterattack. Right. And luckily, Star Wars works and stops it from happening. Um, and thus, uh, the Austrians, I believe, tunnel under the White House and come in under the guise that they're the telephone company. But George thinks they're the cable company coming to arrest him for stealing cable. Yes. And um, according to Wikipedia, this is the first use of the term lemmywinks. Yeah, that's something I caught, is that they turn on the television. George mentioned something like everything he watches is gay. What the heck 
can't the White House have cable? I can't stand watching network shows. They are all the same. Ah, oh, come on, George. There's plenty of variety on the networks. What? You mean you're gay? Whatever you do, don't tell Chris I'm gay. <laughs> Let's pretend I'm not gay. But he's gay. Gay? Hey, I'm your pal Lemmy Winks the squirrel. See, you can watch Lemmy Winks. <laughs> but it's before Lemmy Winks on South Park. It's before that happens. Yeah, like, this would have been shot in 2001. So in retrospect, Lemmy Winks is one of the gayest things to happen in South Park. Yeah, the episode of Le- the first episode with Lemmy Winks, and I did just Google this because I don't know this, uh, 2002. So they, this was clearly like a word they were playing with for like a year before yeah. they figured out what to do with it. Gotcha. So yeah, that's interesting. Uh, episode 5 is a weird episode uh, that men wrote this episode. This is the episode that is a 23-minute joke about the word pussy. Where they don't say the word pussy. Yeah, they never actually say the word pussy. But basically, they want to put down their cat. Yes, this ancient, ancient cat. So, uh, George is... Talking about getting it euthanized. Pumpkin. Pumpkin. Pumpkin, yes. At the same time, Laura Bush is noticing that uh, George is less active in bed and won't go down on her. Yeah, he's not performing certain, you know, Oral sex on her. Yes. Certain oral sex. Certain oral sex on her. Uh, So... So she thinks that age and or... uh, she thinks there's something unappealing about the smell or the taste or the age has affected how it looks. And so she is trying to improve the situation. And she overhears George talking about the cat and Carl Rove. And they're constantly saying, like, it smells terrible. Just with age, it's gotten all matted and gross. I don't like looking at it. And she thinks they're talking about her, but they're talking about the cat. This is such a sitcom thing. Yeah, it's it's overhearing a conversation. Yes. And then jumping to a conclusion about what the conversation was really about and taking it very personally. Uh, it's poor communication kills. Yes. So, uh... <laughs> the political La- issue here is euthanasia. Is euthanasia. Laura is trying to get, uh, take care of her issue. Meanwhile... George is trying to get the cat killed. Lars says she's going to take care of it. Comes back with a douche that George then says, oh, I guess we're going to kill the cat here. And uses a douche on a cat. It rams it right up the cat's beehole. And at this point, I would like to say, this show has some awesome puppetry. Yes. Like, between the cat, the bear, and the fetus. Like... The puppetry is on point on this show, which I'm sure is another reason it was very expensive. There's a couple of very solid jokes on this. Uh, Like, Larry has a really good line of like... (laughs) Thanks for coming over to help, Larry. Oh, hey, if you can't count on your friends to help kill your cat, who can you count on? And then the uh, Carl goes... (laughs) What are you doing? What's it look like we're doing? We're putting the cat to sleep. Why are you doing it with that douche? Larry's the only one who would help me. Great joke. It's 
Uh, the not very convincing puppet is terrifying. Yeah, it's very scary. And, of course, we need an expert. So... They break Jack Kevorkian out of jail. Jack Kevorkian gets busted out of jail. And the whole time they kind of set it up that Jack Kevorkian is not in the wrong. That all he's doing is helping people die with dignity that wanted to die who are suffering. Yet when they introduce him... uh. He floats in wearing a Dracula cloak. Yes. Which is incredible. And he's very, um, he's very sinister. Yes. The entire thing. Oh, and we need to talk about this dream sequence. Yes. Because this fell out of place. Yes. Uh, George is in, is, has a dream. He's in the hospital and just wants to die. And Carl Rove comes in dressed as a clown. Why is a clown here? And then he wakes up and he was he fell asleep going down on Laura. Yes. And he wakes up screaming, I wanna die. Yeah. Which makes Laura think that it's, again, Still her, her vagina. Yes. Um, I have a lot of notes on this episode that are pretty much going, No! No, douches are bad. Girl, just use soap. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> That's my, like, PSA. <laughs> to Thank th- you. Uh, so Douching isn't healthy, ladies. You only need soap and water. Did we know that in 2001? Yes, we did. Oh. Okay. We super did. I've never done it, so I don't know. Like, every women's magazine I've read from, like, my teen years on was like, don't do it. Then why do we still sell them? Because some women have internalized misogyny and think that a vagina that smells like a vagina is not healthy. And that it should smell like flowers or baby powder or what have you. Oh. Okay. And that is your PSA. Please, parents, talk to your kids about douches. In the end, uh, Laura goes to another country to... Was it the Mayans or was it Indians? The Punani Indians. It was the Punani Indians. Yes, it was the second Comedy Central show that we watched that had a magic Indian in it. Yes. And uh, gets, like, a very special treatment. Meanwhile, Jack Kevorkian has to dress like Laura Bush. Because dressing like a woman is always... That's a sitcom big sitcom. Uh, so they, they don't get caught murdering the cat through suicide. Because it's very important that the cat is the one that presses the button. I thought this joke was really funny. The Kevorkian is so invested in the agency... Yes. That the cat must push the button. So they wait all night for the cat to push the button. And when it finally does, it just explodes. It's pretty funny. <laughs> it's It's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, and then it ends with them in bed. And like Laura's just kind of has that thousand yard stare. <laughs> and George is like, what a misunderstanding. <laughs> You thought, and I thought, woo! (laughs) What a day. Oof. So, the, uh, the next two, I actually didn't take a lot of notes on, because I, 
decided to actually just watch them. Yeah. Yeah, which is a very weird experience for me. It's, I think, one of the first times I've decided to just watch a couple episodes of a Stay Doomed show. And these two episodes, the show is very strong in these two episodes. The show is slick, to use a word from Contest Searchlight. But these two might be two of the best episodes, too. The first one is uh, the War on Drugs episode. Yes. And it's the wife and the mother-in-law not getting along. Uh, And uh, Barbara Bush is in it as the mother-in-law. And she's a stone-cold bee. Yeah, because it's the the trope that, you know, everyone hates their mother-in-law, and the mother-in-law is kind of mean, but, you know, it's my mom, so you gotta be nice. But she is horrendous. Yeah, she calls Laura every name Comedy Central could get away with. (laughs) Yes. And I really enjoyed the first joke of... Your mother thinks I'm an idiot, George. I bet you five bucks. The first thing she says to me is some crack about my intelligence. (laughs) Mommy! Hello, Junior. Hello, Laura. My God, you put on weight. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha! You owe me five bucks! So they're imprisoning the hundred millionth drug offender. Yes. And it's supposed to be this big ceremony. And Barbara Bush, who used to be the first lady, which is a really good way to tell this story. A really good twist on this story is that they she used to be first lady. Yeah, that they had works. the same job. So she's trying to take over the ceremony. And she wants to do it with George. Like, she's not trying to kick George out of the ceremony. Only Laura. Right. So she's, like, very, very nice to George. She's... Nice enough to Princess and Carl. Like, there's a nice bit with Carl where she's like, Chris! And he's like, actually, Mrs. Bush, it's Carl. And she goes, I like Chris better. And he goes, Chris it is! Chris it is! And, like, she gets along with everybody but Laura. Yes. And, uh, George accidentally doses himself on ecstasy. Yes, because the the 100 millionth, uh drug criminal is just a guy who went to a rave. Yeah, he just has ecstasy. He doesn't even have that much of it on him. He's got like a small bottle of ecstasy. And uh, George then starts to to trip out a bit. And uh, really wants to dance. And (laughs) basically this press conference turns into a rave. Yeah, because he gets the 100 millionth drug offender to call a bunch of his friends, and they have a rave. Yes, and I, I want to shout out the banner yes. that Laura Bush made. You'd ha- you have to be high. To want to do drugs. But to want to is in impossibly tiny font, so it just says, you have to be high, do drugs. <laughs> you have to be high, do drugs, to want to. To want to they do drugs. They just printed to want to too small. And Which... Oh, I should just mention, you have to be high to want to do drugs is a terrible slogan. I mean, of course it is. (laughs) There's a great, the ending of this when they actually have the ceremony is great because they go live to Laura Bush as she is reaming out Barbara Bush. Yes. Because she's finally gotten sick and tired of how mean Barbara is to her and she just starts reaming her out. And manages to kind of pull out the ceremony by comparing the war on drugs to an overbearing mother-in-law. Yes. 
and the, the reporter cries because how beautiful it is. Yeah, I, I really liked this episode. It's I thought it was really episode. funny. It's really, really funny. It, it hits all the tropes perfectly. It's, but like, turned up to 11. It does a good sitcom thing where, like, Laura is humiliated through the entire episode, but then Barbara gets her comeuppance. Yes. So it's actually, like, dramatically satisfying. And did you see the, the Matt Stone cameo? I did not. He's a banana. Oh, he's the banana in the rave? He's the banana. It's like the rosebuds. Yeah, exactly. And then the next one is the bottle episode. Yes. Or the six-pack episode in this case. What? Oh, that's a great joke. What an amazing way that they did this. <laughs> it's just, it's so funny throughout. But the basic idea, it starts with they want to make Carl Rove happy. Because he, he's never found love. So Laura sets him up with one of his, her friends, and they hit it off, and it's amazing. And Carl Rove's like, I feel so good, I feel young again, I just don't know how I'm going to tell my wife. And Laura is horrified because she did not know Carl was married. And then Carl's wife shows up, and we're going to play just a little clip of how Carl's wife treats Laura. Uh, Mrs. Rove, I didn't. Just look at this pale young girl. Just look at her. You look her in the face and tell her her daddy's not going to be around anymore. <laughs> Dad's, daddy's what? Perhaps your daughter could play with Maggie so you and I You talk. tell her that her daddy's not going to be there to tuck her into bed at night or to take her to her speech therapy classes. You tell her that daddy doesn't love her anymore. Daddy, I miss my dad. There. Look at what you made her do. And it's just like, it's savage. Yeah, it's real fun. And it's very funny. How brutal it is. And so then Laura wants to atone. And she feels terrible about the situation. So she and George contrive to trap Carl and his wife together in the green room. Yes, and they actually do mention that... It's a plot from Friends. Yes. And someone else says, just every sitcom does that. So, like, they're really just laying into it. It's like, this is a sitcom. Yes. Meanwhile, uh, the other plot is... Alaskan drilling. Alaskan drilling. And there's protesters outside protesting drilling in Alaska. And one of the protesters is wacky neighbor Larry. And Larry comes in and says... Say, George, it's your favorite tree hugger. Larry, are you the leader of this protest? Say, I'm hungry, George. You want to join me for at stake? What's at stake? Thousands of acres of national park, the safety of endangered wildlife, and the lives of the Alaskan people. That's what's at stake, George. So, Larry, in an effort to uh, show what happens when you pollute someone's home, as the oil drilling would do to the Alaskans... Messes with the sewage yes. in their home. He sabotages their pipes to flood their homes with sewage. Yes. And then what... Bold we, move for a neighbor. Yes, very bold. We then end up with this comedy of errors of different characters getting locked in places together. We start with Larry and George in an elevator and Carl Rove and Maggie in the green room and... 
Laura and Carl's wife. Laura and, and, and Carl's wife surrounded by sewage. Yeah, they're like up on a piece of furniture, stranded, because everything else is sewage. And every time they're... With each of these scenarios, they have a realization where sappy music plays. They both grow as people. And then as soon as they grow as people, they find a way out of the situation. But into another. But they end up going into another because George finds like a vent to crawl through. And so does Carl. So they find each other in the vents and then they get stuck in the vents Because they get, get past each other. So then it happens again. Meanwhile, Laura, like, just runs through the sewage, goes to the bathroom, locks herself in the bathroom, and then has a moment with herself. Yeah, which I really liked. I thought that was a good twist. Uh, So then George and Carl end up, like, switching places. So now George is with Maggie, and Carl is with Larry, and they do the same thing again. And it's just the repeated trope over and over again is just... It's good comedy, yo. Yeah. It's very, very funny. It's just like a good bottle episode. And then we hit the finale. How did that episode end before we move on to the finale? Um, George decides not to drill oil in Alaska because they decide to buy it from the Middle East. Right. Because, uh, he gets, Carl Rove gets the advice, uh, sometimes it's better to pay than to mess up your own home. So he tells his wife, don't worry, I'm going to start paying prostitutes. And his wife goes, oh, Carl. And they leave happily, and I guess the nine-year-old ends up with a dad again? Yeah, it's a happy ending, question mark. And then the last one, the political issue is presidential impeachment. And we did not do this on purpose, But like I'm with Busey, it involves a title change in the last episode. Yes. And the same word is used. (laughs) Yes. Instead of I'm with Busey, it was I'm with Dick. And instead of that's my bush, it was... He's the president in residence. He's kind of in charge. He's got the whole country saying, that's my dick. Life is hard. That's the price of fame. When you're president, everyone knows your name. Hey, what's that thing? It's my dick. Yes, and now Dick Cheney is the president, and George has to go find a new job. And we run through pastiches of several other sitcoms. We have theme sequences. This episode had to cost a fortune. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) Matt Stone and Trey Parker probably loved doing all these stupid songs. Oh, I don't mean to write the songs. I mean to emulate those title sequences. We used other sets. Yeah, that's true. And so we start with the Jeffersons. Yeah, moving on down. Moving on down to the crappy part of town to a two hundred dollar studio apartment in the hood. Moving on down where the sky is over the ground. said that poverty wasn't good? And whoever said that poverty wasn't Their neighbor's name, and he's uh, Laron. Laron, yeah. And he is just Black Larry. Yeah. He's the same character. Um, Like, he's like, ah, you're out of Whitey-Doo. What's Whitey-Doo? Ride my ass all damn day. (laughs) Which is just like a really solid joke. And also like a very period appropriate joke for like a 70s sitcom. Mm -hmm. 
then like Bush gets a job as a teacher. Yes. And it's welcome back Cotter. Yes, Mr. B. Teaches Mr. B. Teaches Mr. B. And we also see cut-ins of uh, Maggie gets fired by Chaney, so she comes and like hangs out with them in their new crappy apartment. And Carl and Princess don't get to leave at 5 o'clock anymore. They're expected to actually, like, be there and do their jobs. Yes. And Princess has to dress more conservatively. Yes. And she says she hates it. She feels so naked. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the next one is Brouhaha, which is a Cheers pastiche. Yes. They do a good job on this. And then all of these... It sounds like I'm glossing over them, but they all last about 30 seconds. Before he gets fired from that Yeah, job. they last slightly longer than the theme song. And the next one is more contemporary. It's Just Shoot Me. Yeah, which and, I think is a weird choice, but... I mean, not for the time. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's Just Shoot Me, but I guess that's also like... Um, there there were other shows of a similar nature, where there was people working at a magazine. Yeah, and Just Shoot Me was airing at that time. So that was like the contemporary one. Okay. And that one's the shortest. He just gets fired. Yeah, he doesn't even, like, get a full line out. Yeah. And then he finds a job that works. Yes. He is... No, I'm gonna let you take the lead on this, because this is your your jam. He is so good at losing that he finds out that he can get paid $100 to throw a wrestling match. Uh, So he becomes the mysterious loser. He wears a mask, and he's gonna go wrestle. And the key word is pineapple. When he hears the word pineapple, he's supposed to just fall over. Yep. Uh, And when he does that, he accidentally kicks the competitor in the balls and wins the match. Yep. Which is totally how wrestling works. Absolutely. Uh, I did not recognize the wrestler that they had in this. No. Uh, I thought I would, but he looks... He probably was an actual wrestler, but... Yeah, uh, he was a big dude. He was a biggin'. Are we looking it up? You know I am, because it's bothering me. So, we looked up who the wrestler was, because it was bothering us. His name is Lester Spate. He was uh, a linebacker in the Reebok commercials that aired during the 2003 Super Bowl. Oh, so not a wrestler. So he was a football player, which explains... Just a big dude. Which explains why he's huge. He actually has... A lot of credit. So he's been a professional big dude. For quite some time. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. So Sorry I didn't recognize you, Lester. Yeah. So, he's the biggest loser. And he's become a national phenomenon. Yes, and Dick Cheney, now very power... Not hungry. He's very... Dick Cheney, now drunk on power, wants to have the most highest rating... On his political address. Remember when that was an absurd concept? Yes, he cares all about the ratings, and it turns out that he loses to wrestling. But it's still good because he's number two. Well, he hates being number two. Right. So, he has the mysterious loser on, and he's going to unmask him on television to get ratings. Yes. He's going to be the number one rated thing. He wants the people to love him. It's not enough to be president. He wants to be adored. Ooh, this sounds super familiar. Oh, no. So he wants to unmask the mysterious loser on TV, thinking it will earn him the people's adoration. And then Laura tries to interfere. Yes. And in the melee, 
the mysterious loser is unmasked to reveal himself as being George Bush. Yes. And then Larry, Bush's favorite neighbor, uh, comes in with the save. That the reason he got impeached was he lost a peace treaty? A Middle East peace treaty. Uh, Dick Cheney had shredded it. And left it on Larry's lawn. And they put it together and it was all a scheme from Dick Cheney so Bush can be the president again. Yes. And everyone rejoices. Yep. And by chanting loser. Yeah, and they chant loser because he's the mysterious loser. So this show got great critical response. It's very funny. It's very well done at what it is. It's an interesting misdirect because you would expect it to be more political humor. And it's not. It's a satire more on sitcoms and television comedy than it is on George Bush or his actual politics. Which makes sense because you're only... They were filming this, essentially, during like the inauguration and whatnot. Right. Uh, each show only took two days to film. That's impressive. Yeah. I mean, this was a, had to have been a tight ship. But they... There were only eight produced, so everything that was produced was aired. Okay. And they aired in sequence. Like, this had a good run. Most of the problems we usually see uh, were not part of this. Well, I'm guessing it only ran for a month? Two months. It did run two months, because when we were watching it, uh, every episode, or every other episode, ended with the credits and someone saying, stick around, that's my Bush's next. So I kind of took it that they aired two episodes a week. Uh, The original air dates were in sequential order, but knowing how network TV ran and cable TV ran at that time, I could totally see that they would run the previous week's episode. Yeah, maybe. That makes sense. Uh, Because that, like, when TV on demand was less of a thing, there had to be a way to catch people up a little better. Yeah, so they would just show the reruns. Okay. And it ran in, like, an odd time, like, an odd time period. It ran April-May. That is a bit odd. It really is. Um, But, I mean, with Comedy Central, they usually do eight-episode seasons. So I feel like they were always rotating to a new new show. Yeah, it was just, like, an odd... It was a very odd one. Yeah. Because usually, like, they start in the fall, or maybe they're mid-season in the winter... So starting in April is just kind of interesting and just kind of weird. Yeah. And the re- it was canceled officially in August, but they knew when they shot the finale that it was the finale. Really? They did. They, they just realized it was too expensive and they weren't going to get picked up? Yes. The show enjoyed critical success and decent ratings. Yeah. It's... But it wasn't the phenomenon it needed to be to justify its cost. That makes sense. It it even got a DVD release. Yeah, it did. That's my Bush, the definitive collection. Yeah. Um, The reviews for the DVD release were super interesting because the DVD release came out in 2006, which was still during the Bush administration, but a significant time after 9-11 and even only five years removed from the show, people kind of treated it as a relic. Yeah. And they said, like, it's a show from a more innocent time. Yeah. I mean, like, I definitely thought it got canceled because of 9-11. No, it was canceled August 2nd, along with a couple of other shows. 
a strip mall was also canceled the same announcement. I don't remember strip mall at all. It ran two seasons, so we'll never watch it. Huh, okay. Um, I actually did look that up. These shows, uh, it was just cost-cutting. And mm. August tends to be a very dead time for TV anyway. Uh, most shows are, your summer shows are ending or over, and your fall shows have yet to pick up. Hmm. And, like, August, that's when, like, the Daily Show's on vacation. Right. And uh, really all of your late night shows, that's when they take their vacations. And August is just kind of a slow time. So people aren't going to miss a show in August. And then when September rolled around and then 9-11 occurred, I could definitely see why people would look around in October and November and go, Oh my god, that's why Bush didn't come back. I guess it got canceled because of 9-11. Yeah. Because unless you were paying attention, which most people aren't, they're not going to see that that's my Bush was canceled. This was pre-social media, Mm pre-Twitter. It's not like there's a save that's my Bush hashtag. Right. But 9-11 has affected the show retroactively. Of After 9-11 and the ensuing wars, most people could no longer take Bush... As a harmless, doddering idiot. Yeah. Uh, after he's, you know, a war criminal. and I I remember watching... I'm going to go back to wrestling. I'm sorry. All right. But I remember watching a Chris Jericho promo where he says, I know it's not cool to make fun of the president right now, but hey, he's not my leader. And the king was like, oh, that's right. He's Canadian. And then he makes some sort of, like, jab at America because he was a heel. Right. But I remember in that moment going, yeah, no one does make fun of the president anymore because of 9-11. That's my Bush never came back. Yeah. Like, I, rem- I remember having that thought while watching Monday Night Raw. That's super interesting. Yeah, I mean, the show just... It doesn't work now. Yeah, it's just... it's. It's not an innocent time anymore. It's like, it is really the example of a pre-9-11 world. Where it was fine to, like, make these jokes. And it was fine to tease the president in that way. Because uh, I know the uh, the president show exists now on Comedy Central. Yes. And that's... It's... Is it still running? It was, I know it ran on, like, a weird schedule where it only ran on Thursdays and, like, replaced The Daily Show one night a week. Yeah, it, uh... I think it was technically a special. Like, I don't think it was a series. Yeah, it ran pretty consistently. It ran 20 episodes in 2017. So, but it has run specials roughly every six months. But, like, that just goes to show the difference between these two in that the president show on Comedy Central in 2017 would never have existed right? if someone else won the presidency. Right. That's my Bush would have existed with Gore. Yes. The title would have been been different, but they had already decided to make this show. That was directly lampooning the president. This is not actually doing that. But it it then became a time where we didn't want to poke fun at the government. Yes. And now we can again. So, yay? I mean, it's kind of an interesting idea because 
that's, I mean, that's why Bush wasn't political satire. It's mostly poking fun of the office of the presidency and this idea of political theater as it was starting to be in the 90s and 2000. Like, started with, you know, Clinton playing the sax and Arsenio and this now, like, entertainment that has to go with it. You know what that's my Bush kind of reminds me of? Hmm. Jesus and the gang. Bum, bum, bum! Because you're just, you're taking a character that everyone knows and showing them in the light of just an everyday average person instead of lampooning what that person is known for. Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe, did Mike Lombardi have anything to do with, uh, no? No. All right. Thought I'd ask. (laughs) But, uh, we've actually managed to tie a neat bow on Comedy Central Month. Yeah, well, not, not yet. Oh. We gotta give... What do you mean, oh? You gotta give it a verdict. I know, but it was such a neat ending, and I was excited about the editorial goodness of it. Uh, because... I I mean, we've been leading to this with our discussion. It's a stay doomed. The show can't work after 9-11. Yeah, I I think it has to be a stay doomed for me as well. Uh, As much as I'd like to see another episode of it, you can't, like, bring it back now. No. That would be really weird. Yeah, it doesn't work anymore. Like... I, I almost think that they maybe could have done, if Hillary Clinton had won the presidency, they could have done, like, a Lifetime sitcom. <laughs> like, like you know the, the sitcoms I'm talking about, like, the lady sitcoms? Yes. That... You're not talking about a Lifetime special. No. <laughs> no, I'm talking about, like, the shows that air on, like, Hallmark and Lifetime the, the comedies that revolve around women and how, like... Yeah, designing women, uh... Veronica's Closet. Veronica's Closet. That's the one I couldn't think of. Uh, The Nanny. Yeah. Suddenly Susan? Suddenly Susan's another one. Caroline in the City. Yeah, like, those kinds of yeah, shows. maybe not that one. But... Uh, like, that's what I would think could be an incarnation of that. But you kind of have to have, um, smooth sailing politically. Yes. Which we... Clearly don't have in 2016, or haven't had since 2016. No. Hey, what's up, Freud? Uh, (laughs) So that's a stay doomed for me. Yeah, uh, it has to be a stay doomed as well. But, like, stay doomed, but worth watching. Yes. Like, if you want to sit down and watch, like, a very much a time capsule of what it was like in a pre-9-11 world. Yeah, this is a fun show, like... I, sometimes when we have a Stay Doomed, I want to be like, but it's still worth watching and it's still good. Yeah. I mean, I've had Stay Tunes I've enjoyed less. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's very accurate. So uh, it's starting to rain real hard. So we're going to lose sound quality soon. Yeah. So uh, what, what are we doing next week? Uh, for our April 1st episode, we're going to switch it up a little bit. Uh, we're going to do Holmes and Watson And that's going to be our April 1st episode, is we're going to close out Razzie Month, and instead of doing it on the 5th Monday, we're going to do it on the 1st Monday. Yeah, we thought it would fit April Fool's Day. Yes, because we're fools for watching this film, and it goes up in April. Yeah, so get strap in for that one. That DVD should launch on Tuesday. So if you want to pick it up and watch before you listen, it's your funeral. Uh, This DVD will have launched last Tuesday. Okay, whatever. Yes. Um, sorry, we're we're film we're we're recording ahead of time, guys. Uh April's gonna be a really exciting month. We're doing Legends Month. 
Yes, so these will be the legendary episodes that are known for how horrible they are. These are the room of television. Yes, we're doing Super Train, which almost ended NBC as a network. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Uh, Cop Rock, which is one of the first things anyone thinks of with legendary bad TV. Mm-hmm. Heil Honey, I'm Home, which is going to be an exciting sequel episode to That's My Bush, because it's the same concept, but with Hitler. But with Hitler! And much less successful. And then we're taking our very first Stay Doomed field trip. The first thing we can't give you a link for, because we have to go to the Paley Center to watch it. Yeah, this is going to be special. Uh, it's the 1960s variety show Turn On. This show is so infamous, it got canceled in the middle of its first episode. That's pretty crazy. I'm super, super hyped for yeah, it. So get hyped for that one. I'm very, very hyped. And uh, where can people see us live? Um, currently, people can see us live at John Con, April 12th through 14th in Baltimore, Maryland at Johns Hopkins University. Yeah, so be sure to come see us there. Uh, and how can people reach out to us? You can email us at thestaydoomedshow at gmail.com or you can use Facebook and Twitter at Stay Doomed. And if you want to talk to me about how professional wrestling is how you remember your own life, I'm at TV's Noah. If you want to talk about how interesting political satire and That's My Bush could be, I'm at Priorities. Until next time, stay doomed. Yay. I'm just now imagining <laughs> this mother sitting their daughter down going, listen... I just listened to the Stay Doomed podcast, <laughs> and I just want to let you know that your vagina should smell natural and not like flowers, so don't douche. We good? Awesome. I want to watch, the, I want to listen to the Screw On Head episode now. <laughs>